Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'm joined by my colleague Janet Gunter. Today we're talking about limitations put on reuse and refurbishment of devices, laptops, by manufacturers. We'll be hearing from John Bamstead, a refurbisher from Minneapolis, about his experience with these issues and what he believes the solution could be. But before delving into today's topic, uh, first uh, a follow-up to last month's Restart Radio when we spoke about the pandemic and the importance of uh, reuse and repair in the current uh, crisis, particularly for medical equipment. Uh, we come across an article this past week um, about repairing ventilators to save coronavirus patients and how this shouldn't be a business decision. And it was the first time that we hear uh, biomeds, so the doctors that are in charge of maintenance and attack of this. Well, they're like machine doctors. Yes. They're not doctor doctors. <laughs> well, there is a engineers who fix the equipment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's the first time that we hear them speaking out super loud about this issue. Uh, Janet, what do you make of it? Well, it was a really strong piece. It was written alongside friends of ours from, I guess, USPIRG, who've been campaigning um, really strongly on this issue. Yeah, it's good just to to hear from, you know, I guess they, they, they say the front line, from people that are actually um, struggling to maintain life-saving equipment. And I guess one thing that we've noticed here in the UK is that um, this group has been fairly quiet, I would say. You and I, we've been following a forum uh, here in the UK, which is really full of talented people sharing information and helping each other. Um, but it seems like a very much internal conversation, and there hasn't a whole lot of media interest in the work itself. And there's been a lot of celebration of the heroes that have been working uh, you know, in the NHS and in care work, but there's been actually quite, there's been almost under coverage of the people who work behind the scenes, um, technically. And there was a little bit in relation to the big hospitals that opened, the Nightingale hospitals. And there's, there was one or two, you know, quotes of biomeds I've seen in the British media, but it's really good to hear that at least in the U.S. they're speaking out and demanding that manufacturers do better and help them repair stuff. And in this one, you know, they name names. So, you know, some of the U.S. manufacturers are doing better. They've un they have under pressure. They've started to release more documentation and be more helpful. And some of the manufacturers are not, including one that's based in Germany. So I think it's it's quite important that we continue to press on this here in the U.K. and Europe. Absolutely. So the fact that campaigning has helped in making some of the manufacturers actually take a position uh, is a great start. If we think about the interview we had last month uh, with Dr. Tarek Lubani and talking about how the main problem is, yes, they agree to a temporary change in the international crisis. Well, with Right to Repair, we'd like to see um, a change of pace and some of these concessions becoming the norm and not just uh, a temporary 
um, solution. Yeah, and in fact, the piece in the piece they write, um, companies starting to provide biomeds with repair information are taking steps in the right direction. But biomeds techs and repair technicians across industries should not be forced to rely on the goodwill of device manufacturers, only sparked by an international crisis. And that's you know a really strong point is that. You know, we shouldn't, this shouldn't almost be charity in a way. So credit to Leticia Reynolds and Kevin O'Reilly, who, who wrote that piece together. It's really strong. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there might be other reasons why in the UK this issue has been quieter. Certainly, there seems to be more devices that in the US case have been brought back uh, from maybe being in storage or still being in the hospital systems, but not underutilized or perhaps broken or in need of a repair compared to the UK. Yeah, we, we, we didn't have the stockpile that the, in fact, in fact, our stockpile is revealed to be very weak. Yes, um, but We didn't have the same stockpile. But also um, there, we've heard that, that there, many um, people who work in the NHS are under a gag order and that they're not allowed to speak out. So that could be another reason we haven't heard so much here. So hopefully we'll see more in the future. And now to today's uh, main topic. It's great to welcome you back to the show, John. Uh, you were first uh, joining us at Restart Radio in November 2017. I checked and uh, it's great to have you back. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you guys again. It seems like so much has changed since we talked to you, not just in relation to the electronics themselves, also in relation to your glitch artwork. Um, before we dive into all the super geek stuff about refurbishing and reuse, can you tell us, I mean, I think it'd be fun to hear about um, the successes you've had with your glitch art, because I've seen that you've made international connection and been um, been really active there as well. Um, yeah, I'm really lucky. I mean, I, I have both sort of the art world and the repair world kind of looking into my, my glitch art, which is which which is fortunate you know i've um i've started moving into uh, ar augmented reality uh, creating augmented reality scenes uh with my art in, in it uh that's probably been my latest uh, move um and th and that's really exciting cuz you know rather than just having a a small installation that people look at for a few hours you you send them a link and then they experience the environment you've created and you know so like a glitching reality, like we experience your glitched version of reality through that? Um, well, what it entails is using a specific app on an iPhone and you, you look through the, the iPhone and you see, or, or an iPad and you see the world, but then it has the uh, elements that, that I've added. I, I've, That's uh, cool. One of the, the projects I've done is there's, you're in a room full of my art and the art covers all of the walls and you can you know, look around and, and see it, that kind of thing. So it's, it's just, a, it's another way to present uh, what I'm doing, but it's, it's a lot of fun it, and it's definitely the future. Well, wow, it seems really relevant, especially now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but the reason we invited you on is actually a, a series of viral tweets that we saw from you a couple of weeks back. Can you tell yeah. our audience about what happened to you on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I buy thousands of broken MacBooks and um, I fix them and refurbish them and sell them. And so I got a particular 
load of MacBooks in, was sorting through them, and they a couple MacBooks I got were uh, very current, and uh, one of them specifically was a 2018 MacBook, which is a new uh, model that has the T2 security chip in it, and uh, you know it was it was locked. I couldn't do anything with it uh, because. You know, you can't wipe the board because the chips, the, the 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 drive is now just chips on the board. It's not removable and erasable. Um, so I couldn't do that. The machine was locked. Uh, by default, the T2 security doesn't let you boot to another device that would let you uh, wipe it. Uh, you can't go into recovery mode. So, um, you know, it's a really unfortunate situation of a machine that's basically $3,000 right now and wow. <laughs> can't do anything with it. So I... So I put these two newer machines on a couple stacks of older machines, and I took a picture and said, basically, oh, well, um, the fate of this machine is, is the scrapyard because uh, I can't do anything with this. And, um, you know, my tweets usually get one retweet and, like, five likes, like if I'm lucky. So this exploded. I think right now it has, like, 1,400 retweets and 5,000 likes. So it was really... It was really inspiring to see that if you frame something the right way, people actually do respond and the social media thing can function. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were, I, I spent literally a whole day just responding uh, to people and answering questions. And, you know, there was, some people weren't happy, some people, you know how Twitter is, but uh, yeah, amazing, amazing experience. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed in a million years that that would have happened when I, you know, clicked send tweet. And what were some of the main questions people were asking you? I mean, I don't want to have you relive that whole uh, explaining experience, but maybe just a summary. Most people just say things like, well, what's the problem here? The original owner should have, you know, wiped the machine. The instructions are on the Apple website. You know, I did it when I got rid of my machine. Uh, so what's the problem here? The the issue is with the original owners, the original companies. They should all wipe their machines, and then we're all good. And you know, I had to go into explaining that you know it's it's not that simple. You know, most machines that are locked are not stolen. Most machines that are locked have to do with a large entity donating or giving thousands of machines to another entity. It could be a recycler, um, and just not caring or bothering to unlock the devices. You know, when something is optional, uh, a large chunk of people tend to not do it. And so when it comes to giving rid of your uh, old machine, whether it be an individual or a, a, a corporation, guess what? If it's not a mandatory step, then a lot of people will just hand over that machine without wiping it. It therefore gets locked, and then it ends up in recyclers, and in a lot of cases, uh, gets bricked. And, and even if, you know, there are technically solutions, for uh, these machines to be recovered, uh, in so many cases, recyclers and other people just don't have time. You're dealing with hundreds of thousands of devices. You don't have time to spend 20 minutes going through some super technical procedure to deal with just one machine. So if the, if the, an if the answer isn't obvious, then hey, guess what? Get scrapped. Yeah, in fact, we, we, we heard uh, from one of our longtime volunteers who happens to be, among other things, in charge of IT in the company that he works uh, for. And uh, he was saying that often when a device that it's decided that it will be upgraded and you get a new one, often there just isn't much time to then dedicate to 
wiping it off of all the data, etc. And recyclers are contracted to take care of that. And so from the perspective of a company that's not that big, so might not have like a huge IT department, it is an extra cost that they're not necessarily prepared to, to cover in terms of time. And, and so what, what, what should happen in, in, your, in your view to make the life of everyone easier and particularly prevent thousands and thousands of devices to become waste? Well, I think it's a problem with uh, the, the design of Apple's system. If the inevitable result of a design is that thousands or millions of devices get scrapped, then to me, it's self-evident that there's a problem with that design. My crazy idea is imagine if all Apple devices had an ability to, let's say you power them on and while holding it down a couple keys, it does a secure wipe of that device. It then sends verification of that secure wipe to Apple. So they have it on record. Then you go to a website, an Apple website, and submit all of the information that Apple could want, including probably, you know, proof of purchase. Um, they could even ask for $29, you know, if they wanted. Um, then, then Apple looks in their system, their system's called GSX. It has an amazing amount of information about every machine, when it was purchased, who purchased it, where it was sold, every visit to the Apple store, every phone call related to it. Apple looks at all that information and they could make an assessment and determine if the activation lock or whatever lock uh, should be lifted. And if they make that determination, then, you know, it's a win-win. The original owner or the previous owner could be the seventh owner um, is, is secure in knowing that their, their data has been wiped. And uh, that machine is free. That machine is not going to be scrapped. That machine can live another life. And this would probably, so the scenario you, uh, you create there would probably respond to the criticisms about uh, security. So one of the main uh, criticisms that I saw people responding to you on Twitter was, well, um, if my computer's stolen, you know, I don't want to end up in the hands of just anyone. And potentially some people were rude and said, even someone like you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I don't think security has to be compromised. I mean, in any mm -hmm. scenario that happens, I don't think one of the the possibilities is that a thief gets access to the data on the computer. Like, I mean, I'm not 100% sure, but I think if you take a machine into the Apple store and they end up unlocking it for you, I don't think they just give it back to you with the data on it. I think they wipe it, or they should. They'd be crazy if they don't. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't think security is being compromised. What is a risk is that let's say worst case scenario, let's say a thief takes a machine and tricks Apple into to doing it for them and, and wiping that machine, you know, bypasses their method or whatever. Well, then the worst case is that the thief walks away with a working computer. You know, that that's, that's a risk that I, I think is worth it because I, I don't understand this mentality that if I don't have the thing anymore it must die i think there's something wrong with that mentality it's like if your dog runs away you don't hunt it down and shoot it you know you wish you wish it well and hope it has another a, a good life somewhere so i i draw the line at self-destructing devices for the security of the the previous user 
It's funny you mentioned self-destructing devices because all this conversation had me about Sonos Gate as well. Um, I don't know if you followed the outrage of us and the sure. um, recycle mode and um, notion that that yeah that that all of a sudden all these devices killed off. <laughs> um, but it seems like a recurring theme in a lot of our conversations recently is the ability of of manufacturers to control how hardware is used remotely. Um, can you explain to our listeners like what is different about the T2 chip and the activation lock from earlier versions of of Apple's um, machines? Sure. So the activation lock, uh, it requires a T2 chip and it requires uh, Catalina, which is the most current version of the operating system. Um, and it's on by default when you uh, upgrade to Catalina or, or start a machine with Catalina. Uh, Catalina. It's it's the find my Mac feature. When you turn that on or off, the activation lock is on or off. So basically, it's it's the fact that it is by default that uh, is is the problem. The thing about it too is the machine. There's nothing wrong with the machine itself. Um, it's that the the machine has a, a, a serial number that Apple has identified as locked. So you power on that machine, you try and do something, you know, wipe the drive or whatever, and that machine checks in with Apple. Apple says, ah, activation locked, and it pushes down that notice and prevents you from doing things. So it's, it's not a problem with the machine. It's not a firmware lock. It's not uh, anything like that. It's, it's actively a lock in Apple's system. It's similar like if, you, uh, if you're on a corporate network and you lock out your account. Uh, you know, you use your account in a corporate system and you have to go ask the IT guy to unlock you. It's the same thing. You have to go ask I Apple to unlock you. And only in the situation that you're the first user of that machine, or perhaps maybe the second, will they consider unlocking you. And that's that's the problem. It, it's interesting because uh, what you said about, you know, not wanting a device to be self-destroying itself even when it gets stolen let's say because you know, I quite like the idea that you can report your mobile phone um, if if it gets stolen and the IMEI code of it like means that in that country that phone will no longer be usable as a phone and I think potentially that does reduce uh, likelihood of it being stolen but but i appreciate that here you know by creating something that concentrates on security focuses on security what you're finding is that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of devices that end up being completely wasted and and for me it it comes down to to property rights you know these these companies would you know in, in the us it's it's called the first sale doctrine it's this idea that when you buy something from a company you have the right to repair it, destroy it, modify it, sell it. Um, and these companies, what they've done is they've, they've violated our property rights. They've, they, you have your property rights when you're connected to the company as a first owner, but then if you're the fifth owner or the seventh owner or the 10th owner of a device, you know, your property rights are eroded due to the policies and uh, tricky behavior of these uh, these companies. And that's uh, one reason right to repair is so important. It, it, it won't fix everything, but at least it'll put you know our foot in the door and uh, 
take a stand and, and will basically be saying, hey, you're not going to continue to erode our property rights and continue down this path that you've been on for so long. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Today we're talking about barriers to reuse and refurbishment of computers with John Bumstead from Minnesota. Welcome back. I think next we um, we thought we would talk a little bit about what we've learned uh, about rep- people searching for repair information online uh, while on lockdown. Um, I spent a couple of hours on Google Trends last week, and it was um, quite interesting seeing what uh, what was trending. Obviously, we can take it with a grain of salt because we know that when we search for things, we search we make an extremely specific search. So we we search for a make and a model and a fault. Um, but there's some really interesting um, trends that come out when you just look at how to fix on Google, um, and Google kind of suggests related queries or related topics, um, and it can show their relative kind of importance or growth over time. So uh, this was really fascinating for me to start. Um, one of the things that I noticed straight away was, at least I, I believe it's uh, in the UK, that we saw big spikes of searching on Sundays and all in a- over the month of April. So when we're stuck at home, there were, every Sunday there were really big spikes. And one of the other things we, we noticed straight away was that um, there was quite a mix of different uh, how to fix searches. Some of them related to DIY and home repairs, like plumbing related. Um, and But then a lot of them were game console related, which didn't surprise me given what I've heard about this surge in gaming. But what actually did surprise me, and it shouldn't have at all, were the number of searches um, for information about Windows. <laughs> and like just basic, basic, you know, computer and IT support. Ugo, do you think it's because basically everyone's stuck at home and they can't, um, they can't annoy the you know, in-house IT anymore? Well, there, there must be something to that. And I think as more people are doing work from home, potentially on their home computer, even though it's not necessarily used just for home tasks, I think there's definitely more of a need and often not something that you can ask to an IT uh, department person. Well, and also, if you think of it also, like, and this is the case of many friends and family, is that people are pulling old machines out of the closet and cupboard um, for use in education and use by their kids, um, because their kids are now, um, you know, supposed to be using computers from home. So it, it was really surprising to me to see the amount of um, help that seems to be needed with um, with Windows, the black screen of death, um, you know, different, different, even older Windows versions where you're like, no, don't use that. What, what else stood out to you, Ugo, from the trends that we identified, that we looked at? I was quite... Uh, smiling looking at the amount of video game uh, console stuff uh, that was coming up like about controllers and it did resonate with some conversations we've had in the last few weeks with repair businesses that are still operational seeing that they've seen a surge of such uh, demand for such repairs uh, as you have more kids at home more of the time and not to mention that adults 
<laughs> probably need to escape uh, reality with more gaming. Uh, that that was quite impressive. Yeah, I th- I mean, it's I think like in terms of supply chains, we've heard that the game console supply chains are some of the most strained, um, definitely. So it's not like people are just repairing because they're altruists or because they care about the planet. It's actually because like there's no there's no cheap or good way to get um, new game consoles and new equipment. So I think that's kind of interesting. And I mean, I obviously don't want to celebrate the breakdown of the, the world economy, but I do think it, it's kind of it's interesting when 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 we need to, um, we can we can get um, more savvy and we can repair. Um, another another thing that stuck out to me, and I don't know, John, if this would be the case in in Minnesota, but in the UK there were loads of people searching for bike repair. Um, you know, information about um, how to change a bike tire, basic bike repair, and I thought that was that really stood out here. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can confirm, like um, what you're saying about uh, the uh, cheap devices. The demand has definitely spiked for laptops. I saw you know, older laptops and I, I haven't been so busy in, in as long as I can remember. The people are really just, uh, like you said, just reaching for that sort of basic information, the, you know, the, the basic old computers that they can use to, to do Zoom meetings, that sort of thing. And, and what about computer monitors? Because they also came up um, prominently in the search, like how to, how to fit your monitors, how to get them going again. Um, I haven't seen that necessarily. I, I, I deal specifically with laptops, but uh, but okay. I, it's pretty much everything, and I, I think, um, you know, and, and parts are getting more expensive, prices have gone up, um, sort of everything is responding in, 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 in response to this, uh, this demand, this crazy demand that's going on. Have you seen um, less uh, supply available, or it's still steady, what comes through? In terms of certain things, uh, chargers for, for, for MacBooks, I specifically, I would say, are in pretty short supply. And have gone up in price. I have one in my house that's rather, I would say, I don't want to confess, but it, it's it's been yes, it's been quote unquote fixed, but not in a way that I would approve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they, that that's one thing that I always have a problem with too, dealing with recyclers. Like, you tend to not get the charger, and so um, when they do have them, it's this awful, nasty, like tumbleweed of torn apart chargers that are covered in <laughs> gook and you know it's like and you just don't want to deal with that so that okay. that th- so there's really a, a need in refurbishing for for third-party parts like quality third-party parts because you're just not going to get enough you know chargers and other components like batteries you know you, you just can't buy a hundred dollar oem battery or a 79 dollar oem uh, charger to throw in with a a laptop that you're selling for 150, you know, it true, tanks the whole vi- viability. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the computer I'm talking on, yeah, it's it. I wouldn't. Ju- I can't justify buying another charger to to use it. Almost, it's crazy. Um, sure. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, this is the part of the show when we normally announce that you can come to a community event and get help fixing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, but we are helping people online. So if you want to tag us. Um, with, uh, you know, just tag us on social media, Restart Projects, um, or you can use a hashtag like SOS Restart. Um, we'll do our best to, to, to help you. Um, give us some information on the make and model and the fault of your device. And you can find out more about us at our website, therestartproject.org. Um, and we're here every second Tuesday of the month um, at 5 p.m. 
thanks thanks again john for joining us thank you so much great talking to you again Thank <laughs> you.